Hey, Sam here, and I know your day's crazy, but I've got a quick idea to take your stress from overwhelmed to under control. So let's tackle systems from the classroom to your living room, one simple step at a time. This is the Simple Systems with Sam podcast. Welcome to part three of our Essentialism Book Study Review Summary <laughs> series. Um, we are in the middle of the book, almost to the end. If you missed part one and two, feel free to go back to those episodes. But this section is all about eliminating. We had decided in part one and two what types of things bring us and don't bring us joy into our highest level of contribution trying to decide where our values and our interests lie. And now we need to eliminate the things that just don't make the cut. Speaking of that, before we get too deep into the book summary, I do want to bring up that this is episode 46, meaning that we're almost at that 50 episode mark for the podcast, which one I am extremely excited and proud of. And I thank you so much for being here and listening. But two, I was supposed to do one episode a week. We're six months in and almost 50 episodes in. So I need to start pacing myself a little bit better, probably. And I actually want to know what you think of the podcast. Every 25 episodes, I told myself I would ask for help from everybody that is here listening to the podcast, wanting to know what I can do for you, how I can help you, what simple things can I help you simplify with a system. So if you wouldn't mind taking just a couple minutes in the show notes, I have linked a survey where I'm just going to check in on a few things, how the length of the episode is, how the frequency of episodes are. If you have any special requests for guests for over the summer, I am um, trying to dip my toe into podcast guests. And also if there is anything I can help you with. So what types of things would you like me to answer on the podcast? And I have a couple interesting questions in there as well. But for spending some time helping me help you, I also want to get you this cool PDF packet I've been working on. Uh, It's a secret until you fill it out, but I think you're going to really like it. And then I will also choose some people to win a free coffee or book on me. So if you could do that, I would simply be thankful. Moving on, let's talk about eliminating from the book. So this is the book Essentialism by Greg McKeown. If you're kind of just joining in and want to hang out, welcome. Here we are. And what's fun about this section is it really starts getting you to think not only about the things that we do, but the things that you shouldn't do. And the first thing that stuck out to me in this entire section of the book is this idea that you need to make one decision that actually makes a thousand decisions. And that sounds really vague, which is ironic because the whole idea of this is that you need to make very specific decisions and goals and ideas and values in your life so that you have clarity and specificity. Because if you know with clarity and you know the specifics of what you want and where you want to go and what you want your life to represent, then that's going to bring motion and forward steps into the choices that you make. But if you are kind of a little vague, you start to get confused on which choice might be best for you. There becomes stress, frustration, and then you waste time and energy. And we are definitely not about that here. So it will help you decide one thing 
that will make other decisions down the road. The best example I can think of off the top of my head, I actually did this um, to prove a point to my environmental science class this year, but by going vegan, you are actually making one decision that is going to make a thousand other decisions for you. When you go vegan, you have to consider what you can and cannot do, but the the boundaries are pretty specific there. So when I was eating vegan to prove a point and our department would want to order out food, that made that decision for me. Nope, couldn't guarantee that it was going to fall in those guidelines. I'm good. Or when I was doing vegan, would I have eggs for breakfast or would I have toast for breakfast? Well, toast without butter was going to be the goal because I was making one decision that fell in line with everything else. And so you can start deciding very specific things that are then going to answer so many other questions for you. And then you don't even have to consider those options. There's actually a really great graphic in the book, and it is showing four quadrants. The first quadrant is showing something that's inspirational, but general. And that would be like a mission statement or um, some sort of vision statement that companies might have. It inspires you to do something, but it's also pretty broad in general. (laughs) And then you move over to bland, but general. That's down on the bottom quadrant. And that is more of your values. Values, bland feels like a harsh word to use for values, but values don't really spice things up. They're very broad. They're general. You can apply a lot of things to them and they're just kind of there. But when you move over into inspirational and concrete, instead of having this general mission statement, you put this essential intent to your life. It's inspiring you and it is very concrete. Think about an inspirational version of SMART goals. You want it to be meaningful. You want it to be measurable. You want it to have some sort of time restriction to it so that you do have a little bit of a deadline and urgency to it, but you want it to inspire you to be that best version of yourself that you aim, that highest contributor to all of the things that you participate in. And when you start to think about those things, then it helps you make big decisions that filter out all the small decisions. Because you have this essential intention for your life or multiple intentions that can narrow out a thousand other things that you don't even need to consider because it doesn't fit within that overarching theme and goal for yourself. And when you have an essential intent, then what you do is every time an opportunity or even items come into your radar you get to ask, does this help me to achieve the intent? Is it part of this inspirationally smart goal of mine? Or is it not? And if it's not, you eliminate it. Done. Don't even have to think any more on it. The next section talks about courage and how we have to have the courage to give a graceful no. And it's a key process to being able to eliminate. Once we know the things that we want to go after, We can eliminate all the thousand small decisions because we are driving everything towards that essential intent. Then we have to be able to say no to things. And we do have a lot of fears about saying no just as a society. 
But there are very few times when people end up not being respected for the boundaries that they set. Their time becomes more valuable to the people that they give it to because they know that they've said no before. And the things that they're willing to put their effort into, everybody else recognizes that as important. So the more you say no, the better off everything actually looks. And there are literally dozens of tips and tricks and strategies that are given in the book for how to say no. But one thing that I really liked was when they said that when you're offered something, when somebody approaches you, you have to remember everybody is selling something. They're selling their idea. They're selling a viewpoint. They're selling an opinion. They're selling more work for you. And it's all in exchange for your time. So when someone approaches you with something, is your time worth the exchange that is about to happen? And they also mentioned that a clear no is definitely more graceful than a non-committal yes. We sometimes, especially me, I do this a lot. We feel like it's easier to just put off saying no directly but that doesn't actually make anybody respect what we're doing in our choices. That actually is just very frustrating for the person trying to get an answer out of you. So instead they suggest that we need to learn how to say a slow yes and a quick no. When we say yes, we need to really pause and consider it. And if we're going to say no, we just need to go ahead and rip the bandaid off and say no. Then I've got some vocab words to throw at you for this next section, where they're talking about uncommitting from things that you have already committed to. So there's this idea of sunk cost bias, meaning that you tend to want to invest time, money, and energy into something because you've already put a lot of time, money, and energy into it. Even if you know it's a flop, even if you know it is not something that is worthwhile in the long run for you, we feel like, oh, we've done all of this so far. We just need to see it through to the end. But I would, I think almost anybody would argue from the outside looking in that doesn't seem like a very great idea. And so we need to really reconsider those things and decide if it's from an outsider's point of view, something they would invest their time, energy, and money into. But then there's also the opposite of that, where it's the endowment effect. We have all of these things, we have all these opportunities, and so we overvalue them because we already own them. And when you already own something, you have like this little possessive part of you that wants everybody else to love it just as much as you think you do. And this also happens when you are in charge of events or activities. Hello, have you signed up for one too many things after school that your students can get involved in? Well, we tend to feel like we have some emotion, some extra value, this endowment effect tied up into those events and activities. And it's harder to say, you know what, this really is not something that I can do right now. But sometimes it is the best thing to step away. And the way to look at it is with sunk cost bias or the endowment effect. If you did not currently have that item, that event, or that opportunity in your life, how much would you sacrifice to obtain it? If you are in charge of the chess club at your school and tomorrow it was given to somebody else, how hard would you fight to get chess club back? If you're not willing to fight that hard, 
then it might be something that you really need to reconsider if it's worth being in charge of or if you feel like you have more put into it because you have the sunk cost bias and endowment effect kind of swirling around in your head. A third little vocab word that I really liked was the status quo bias. And I think a lot of us in education have seen this played out a time or two where you're doing something just because it's always been done. But sometimes you have to admit failure so that you can begin successes. You need to admit that something is not working so that you can start over and make something that does work. There's actually four things that they consider you try when you're looking at figuring out what you can uncommit from. The first is zero-based budgeting style. So that's every month sitting down, starting with a budget of zero and saying, here's what I'm spending money on essentially, and then moving out. So what are the things you would put into a budget first? You'd probably put things like mortgage, car payment, insurance, um, your electricity, internet, phone bill, all those things. And it starts to fill up with the important things. And then you see what is left over energy and time-wise. You can do that with your commitments as well. They also say to really start being aware of how many casual commitments you make to people in events that don't actually give you that fulfillment that you're looking for. Does it fit that essential intent that you've been working towards? Then the other one is to pause before speaking. And this goes with the slow yes part. We want to be slow to say yes. We want to stop and think and really consider how it's going to affect us. And maybe ask the person who is wanting you to get involved in an event or wanting you to take part in something. Ask them if you can get back to them the next day because you're going to check out something on your calendar. I know I use that excuse all the time saying, I'm just going to check with my husband and see if it works. And that will always buy me a day or two to really consider if I want to take part in that or if it's just something I feel like I have to. This last one is also very interesting. It's called the reverse test pilot. And so when you test pilot something, you're trying to see how everything works, if it's going well, if there's any things that you need to fix. But a reverse test pilot is actually removing something, going ahead and cutting it out of your calendar for a week or two, taking a break. Yes, we were on a break. And see if there's any negative consequences. Do you feel like you lost anything when you took a break? Or did it feel like a relief that you didn't have to attend? And so those are four different ways that we can start to practice uncommitting and look at what we're doing. Then there's the edit section where the whole idea is that what's important to you should be obvious to people who are looking at your life. And it should be obvious in the ways that you spend your money, your time, and your energy. Is how you spend your money a reflection of what you want your life to represent? Is how you spend your time a reflection of the life you want to represent and your energy? And if we have fewer options, then we are making better choices to how to fill, for how to fill those things. So the three steps that they suggest for editing is just to condense as much as possible. Doing, they use the metaphor of things like, saying five words when two will do, you can condense it down and make it short and sweet. 
There's actually like this whole Sparta section in another book that I'm reading right now where Spartans were known, yes, like the 300 Spartans, were known for not giving more than what was needed in answers. If they asked, were asked a question, they would respond in a singular word. If it got to the point and answer the question, they were done right there. They thought they could move on. And that's what we need to start doing with our activities. If we want some sort of outcome, how can it be condensed so that we don't have to spend more time, money, and energy on it? And I think a lot of these great examples come from things like planning meetings. How many planning meetings do you need for an event? Or can you just do one planning marathon, get it knocked out, everybody is focused that one time, and then be done with it? The next is being comfortable course correcting. If you feel like you've gotten kind of off your path towards the things that you value most, feel free to steer yourself back in the right direction. And as you go, edit, but with restraint. Don't try to make all of these changes all at once. Start making minor adjustments, but every single minor adjustment needs to be deliberate. That way you can also test all of things out as you cut them or add them in. The last section in this whole section is about limiting. And really, it comes down to boundaries. I feel like teachers are getting better and better at recognizing when and where and how to set boundaries, but we also still struggle on executing them. So the goal is not only to have them, but to stick by them. The way that they suggest setting boundaries is to keep almost a log of any time that you feel like your time or energy are violated or you're put out by somebody's request or something that you had to do, and then create boundaries from those things. Whether it is a boundary against talking to certain people to just preserve yourself, or it is a boundary that is allowing you to focus less and less time on a task that is something that needs to be done, even though it doesn't feel essential to you. And then I'm just going to go ahead and leave with this quote. I might be putting this up in my classroom um, over the next week or so. One of the things with boundaries that they put out there is saying, don't rob people of their problems. If you take away their problems, then you take away their ability to solve them. So if you are taking on extra work because somebody else has a problem, they're never going to learn how to solve it for themselves. And that feels like a perfect place to end this part of the summary. I think that we all know a few people who probably need to hear that quote. That was Eliminate, condensed into 20-ish minutes. And next week, we're going to wrap up with Execute. There was a lot going on in this section. It was all extremely valuable. I really loved reading the section and listening to the audiobook. If you still want to follow along with your own version of the book, I will keep a link in the show notes for you. Also, please take that listener survey if you wouldn't mind. It would be amazing. Until next time. Thanks for hanging out today. I hope that this simple step will help build big results in your classroom, home, and life. Remember to subscribe, review, and tag me on social media at Engineer Does Education so we can build a simple system together.